Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guests on this episode are Travis Shoemake, a professional drag race driver who is about to become the first openly gay driver on the NHRA circuit, and Sean Dixon, President of Visit Topeka, which will be sponsoring Shoemake's rainbow-colored dragster at the upcoming Menards NHRA Nationals in Topeka. We'll be talking drag racing, Shoemake's journey to the circuit after being around the sport his whole life, and how a convention bureau is looking to change perceptions by going all in on a sports sponsorship deal that it hopes will attract new visitors to the Kansas destination. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports events industry. Teams 22 will be held at the Oklahoma City Convention Center in Oklahoma City, October 24th through the 27th. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. At 37 years old, Travis Shoemake may be new to drag racing as a driver, but he's definitely not new to the sport. His late father, Trip Shoemake, was the winner of multiple NHRA titles, and his mother, Susie Shoemake, is a member of the Arizona Drag Racing Hall of Fame for her contributions to the sport. But it wasn't until recently that Travis decided he wanted to give it a go behind the wheel, and he's doing so in full knowledge that when he hits the pavement at Heartland Motorsports Park in Topeka for the Menards NHRA Nationals, he will become the first openly gay driver on the circuit. It's a milestone he doesn't take lightly, and one that he's hoping will spark new conversation among the sports fan base, which over the years has leaned conservative. But his story isn't the only one that may spark new conversations. His car, a 24-foot, 4,000-horsepower, nitromethane-burning, rainbow-colored drag racer, will be sponsored by and feature the branding of Visit Topeka, the city's convention and visitors bureau. As you'll hear from Visit Topeka president Sean Dixon, who joins the conversation. The Convention Bureau is looking to promote itself as open to all visitors and will be using the sponsorship to promote the upcoming and inaugural Pride Kansas, a statewide Pride Festival that will be held in Topeka September 17th through the 24th. For Visit Topeka, backing Shoemake isn't just a sports sponsorship play. It's a play for new visitors and an effort to promote the city as welcoming to the LGBTQ plus community. So sit back and enjoy this fascinating conversation about breaking new barriers in sports and how sports can play a big role in sparking new conversations on a broader scale as well. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Travis Shoemake, Sean Dixon, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thank you for having us today. Thank you. Excellent. This is an exciting conversation for us from time to time. We do talk about drag racing and the NHRA circuit. It's an incredible sports series and organization that's been organizing events around the country for years in different destinations. Topeka, of course, has been a stop for quite a while on the circuit. Travis, excited to have you here. Sean, you as well. This particular story we're going to tell really fits right into everything that we talk about in sports travel, both the importance of of sports events uh, in the greater society and then also uh, 
the opportunities that uh, destinations have to surround themselves around uh, great stories in sports. It kind of fits into everything. But Travis, we will certainly start with you. You are our, uh, our resident professional athlete on the conversation today. And for those who are maybe not familiar with you and your family, uh, we're going to be talking drag racing. You come from a, a family that has uh, quite a bit of experience in this particular side of the sport. For those who are not familiar with your background, Travis, maybe just a little background on how you grew up, uh, who you grew up with, and uh, you know how you got interested in, in this sport in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I um, grew up in a family that was forged at the racetrack, I guess is my little kitschy line there. But my dad started racing at the Beeline Drag Strip in Phoenix, Arizona in the mid-60s at age 16, basically. And at the same time, my mom started working at a parts store in Manhattan, Kansas, an auto parts store. And their paths crossed about six, seven years later at a drag race. And my dad, a couple races later, swung back to Kansas and said, do you want to get in the truck and just come be my wife forever? And <laughs> that was how it started. So my dad, professionally, that's all he did with his life. I mean, in between races, worked at different mechanic shops and, you know, was heavily automotively minded. So ended up after retiring, you know, working at a, a Lexus dealership as the head of the service department. But motorsports are kind of always in our blood. So I grew up briefly kind of in the beginning of my life, watching my dad race before he retired. And then we started racing go-karts together. And so I think a lot of people think like amusement park go-karts, but yeah. like at age 14, I was going 110 miles an hour go-kart uh, with 10 other guys or boys and girls, you know, next to me. And my dad thought that was the best way to learn transferable skills to the racetrack. Cause that if people think it's very easy to just hold on and go 300 miles an hour real quick. There's quite a bit of steering that happens in that looks like it's going straight moment. So that was kind of how we got our connection to each other because my dad had been retired for a while. So yeah, I mean, all we do is is drag racing. It's been our thing. My mom's in the Drag Racing Hall of Fame as well as my dad for her contributions to the sport. But yeah, I guess that's a little bit of background on, on, on how it went for me. My father passed away, unfortunately, when I was a teenager. And so I, I we sold the go-kart operation and, um, you know, I went on to kind of a more traditional lifestyle. Well, actually, that's not true. I mean, I became a competitive cheerleader, which is pretty gay. So <laughs> I went in the opposite way of drag racing. And I uh, came back to the sport about two years ago, just knowing that there was a need for representation. I had a childhood dream that I needed to fulfill. And it was kind of the right time to, to keep the sport relevant to think about society and to, uh, you know, make sure that younger LGBTQ community members saw themselves represented in America's oldest motorsport. Right. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment, Travis, obviously, but um, complete the journey here. I mean, obviously, you, you had done some racing on the on go-karts, although uh, albeit a high-powered uh, version of go-karts. Uh, and then here you are now, I mean, really getting behind the wheel you know, on the track. What was that transition like for you? Or what was the point that you decided, this is something I want to do? Obviously, you've got a, you're going to complete a milestone here to be the, the first openly gay driver on the circuit. But uh, you also obviously have to drive the car. And there's a lot that goes into that as well. So uh, just talk to me for a minute about what that journey was like once you decided this is something I'm really going to do and and give it an honest go at for real. Well, you know, drag racing is by far the most accessible motorsport. You can show up on a Friday night to pretty much any, we have 120 sanctioned racetracks across the country that have Friday night drag racing for $15. You can bring your Dodge Neon or your Dodge Viper <laughs> and line up next to a minivan who pulls up for 15 bucks and you go down, you drive around and do it again. So yeah, I owned a Dodge Neon and that car would not have made it very, very <laughs> far on the track. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's always easy to get into the entry level. But once you want to start to license, if you're not actively in the sport or know someone with a car, you have to go to drag racing school. So Frank Holly's drag racing school um, is 
by far the leader in the world in drag racing education. So I took a two-day course to get my license in a super comp dragster, which is about 150 mile an hour dragster, so think long and skinny. Uh, it was an amazing experience, we made eight passes down the track. From there, you know, then it starts to get bigger and faster, and that becomes more of an individualized training. So I flew down to Florida and spent a few days with Frank, uh, just the two of us, in a, in a nostalgia alcohol funny car. So now I'm breaking the, the 200 mile an hour level, about 240 miles an hour. And at this point, it's just me and the race car, and we have to rent the racetrack, rent the ambulance. Um, I'm liable for the race car at this point. So it gets a little more serious. Yeah. So you do quite a bit of, of book work and preparation. Um, and then you incrementally increase your your length down the track. So 300 feet, 800 feet, 1,000 feet, and then the full quarter mile You know, over, over a series of passes. To earn your license in each category, you typically have to compete for full passes, which may seem like very few, but you know, at 250, 60 miles an hour, and burning nitromethane or alcohol, it's quite an expensive sport. So, you know, I think when we talk about the $15 on a Friday night, I've spent about $80,000 in the last two years practicing drag racing, which, and I, and yet we're talking about my first drag races about it. Uh, so yeah. while it's wildly accessible, nitromethane is a little bit, I know that everyone's mad about the cost of gas. Nitromethane has also <laughs> gone up. <laughs> it is an extremely expensive fuel. Uh, so, you know, yeah. at this point now, I have made over 50 full passes, um, you know, exceeding 200 miles an hour down the racetrack. So I, I feel prepared. Um, I've also certainly faced some adversity. I've already had a high speed, what we, I guess we call a catastrophic crash. So check mark, I've done that and won't be doing that anytime <laughs> soon. So yeah, I guess that's got a little bit of background is that, you know, two years ago, I thought that it was time to, to finish this story. A lot of people during quarantine, you know, learn how to make sourdough bread. I decided to become a professional drag racer. And uh, now we're kind of seeing that now that bread is rising and it's time to yeah. go. <laughs> and and then some. So that's a good transition. And Sean, I'll bring you into the conversation here in just, just a second. But uh, Travis, explain why this particular race in Topeka, why is this the debut and and a little bit about the the connection here for this race coming up? Yeah, so my, my parents met at the I think, 1976 Kansas State Drag Racing Championships in Manhattan. My father being passed away, I have a very small family on his side, but the, the whole family of, in, is in Kansas. So I've got probably about 60 folks coming out to Topeka. It's a, one of the few racetracks in the country that I've been to multiple times as a child and have fond memories of being you know seven or eight years old out, out in the hot summer days in, in Topeka. But more importantly, you know, I think it's this amazing partnership. You know, When I dreamed this up, Two years ago, I thought there was a good business model that this would make sense, that this is companies are, are going to see the difference in me, see where we're trying to do here and attach to it. So to have it be at a track that's so close to home and be in such a bold way, you know, it could have been Toyota, which is great. They're wonderful. But to be Pride Kansas is such a cool, like we're going straight to the rainbows. Literally, I have rainbow parachutes that we're debuting. Uh, which is just I saw images of it. It looks amazing. It's really we're really going for it. So that's what I think is so cool about this. Very cool. Well, Sean, let's bring you in to the conversation as sure. well. Uh, this race in Topeka has been uh, on the circuit for, for years. Let's maybe start there as far as the importance of this particular sports event. Obviously, Topeka hosts uh, a number of events and in, in, in plenty of sports throughout the year. This one is national profile, kind of a mainstay on the circuit. How maybe some context from you, Sean, on just how important this event overall is uh, to sure. your community. And then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. You know, Heartland Motorsports Park has been a key tourism asset for the region since 
since the 80s. I mean, the Nationals started here in 89 and, and since it's grown to one of our largest tourism events. So we'll have tens of thousands of people out here for this particular national event. But even beyond that, I mean, all spring and summer long, you can hear the roar of the racetrack out here, which is, you know, phenomenal. So between that, not only that, but the expansion of, of other entertainment options out there, the country stampede just occurred a couple of weeks ago with Kid Rock as a headliner. So it's it, it's one of those things that it's core to the, the tourism DNA of, of the Midwest is motorsports and, and country music and all the all the, the the things you would expect to go with that, including the, the sort of preconceived notions on who shows up. Uh, and who gets to play and who gets to compete. But it's it's one of those things that certainly bookends a great summer for us and really kind of drives August tourism for us uh, on an annual basis. Right. Now, Travis made a, a reference earlier to Pride Kansas. So let's, uh, let's bring that into the discussion here because some of what's uh, happening here as far as the marketing around your your sponsorship of the of the car at the race has to do with this event coming up in September. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that event is? Absolutely. I mean, we pride ourselves on being as inclusive and welcoming as a destination as possible. And a, a group of folks here, real grassroots of, uh, you know, Topeka is the capital city of Kansas, which I don't think a lot of people realize not only where Kansas is, but we are the capital here in Topeka and have really gone above and beyond to create this new statewide pride event here in the capital city. And they've done it at this time of year, obviously not to to coincide or to take away from the impact of local pride events during pride month. So when they came about and, and we know everyone sort of working on that, it was a natural fit for us to help support it, to diversify the appeal of the destination, to let people know that they are welcome here, that there's programming for them here. And that there's there's people who share their values and sort of their their friends and their family that are are making this place, the best place to live, work, and play for everyone that can. So obviously when Travis reached out here and and told us his story and what he's doing, the stars aligned in a big way. And not only do we and we love we love making history here and we love whenever we can do that twice. And to have the this event, this inaugural event kick off here in Sapika and have Travis reach out, tell us his story, and through our partnership have an ability to not just promote Topeka, to promote this particular event, which is very much on brand with all of us here, was just a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah. Well, Travis, let me bring you back into the conversation here. We we didn't really touch on it while we were talking about your your history in the sport, but you've got this milestone coming up, as we said, to be the first openly gay driver on the circuit. I'm curious, just from your perspective, what that milestone means to you and some of the uh, importance uh, as far as the messaging goes to uh, to sports fans in, in Topeka or elsewhere, whether it's drag racing or beyond. What what does this mean for you? Yeah, you know, I I think well, there's there's two parts for me. I think change takes time, and I think even in my last two years being exposed to the sport and being around it, watching the the fans and the sanctioning body and my fellow drivers, you know, they've just never been a part of this conversation, or they have, or they haven't had the opportunity to voice their strong support or ask questions, and it's just been really cool to watch this evolution. But for me, you know, I grew up with female race car drivers posters on my wall, because there wasn't anyone that looked like me in drag racing. Not that I look like a woman, obviously, I have a terrible mustache and and bad hair today. But (laughs) we're we're just audio today. So it's all fine. (laughs) Guys, I've got a bad message. Uh, You know, looking at these drivers that stood out to me because they weren't like the normal driver. And I just being able to provide an opportunity for LGBTQ youth to see themselves in motorsports and, you know, the opportunities in STEM and, and this sport is 
so quick and so exciting. It's probably the most exciting sport to watch and feel. To bring new eyes, not just dollars, to the sport is, or even back to the sport is, is what's so important to me. I got a, a Facebook message this morning from a gentleman whose dad was the lead general contractor on this racetrack in 1988. And he has never missed a race. And he is bringing his husband and his son to meet me in Topeka because it, it, he feels he was already comfortable. He was already going to the races. He's never not been to one. But he's so excited to see something different. And that's how I feel about, you know, having these 80s drag racing queens on the on the wall. Uh, it's just it's just 30 million Americans identify each year as a drag racing fan. There needs to be a little bit more representation from other parts of society and the world's fastest motorsport. Right. And Sean, you touched on this a little bit as well. I mean, I, I think uh, obviously parts of society go back to certain stereotypes. You know, if we were talking about Kansas and drag racing, we may not uh, immediately think of having a conversation about the, you know, the LGBTQ community. What are you hoping here, uh, Sean, as far as, you know, your involvement, your organization's involvement here, um, even as for marketing Topeka as a destination that that's open here? Are you hoping to uh, kind of start a conversation here or maybe maybe surprise some people on uh, what they otherwise might might come in with a with a first impression, uh, not knowing the community or not knowing what how open it is. Absolutely, surprise and delight is always that's what we're here to do as as a destination marketing organization. And I think that when you've got a conversation like this that that is very important and very relevant, and you've got a state like this and, and an area like this that isn't usually the forefront of consideration for visitation for a lot of Americans, and you know we're considered flyover country in a lot of capacity. And I think. If there's any benefit to the the pandemic and and Travis's um, and myself, I, I moved here during the pandemic. It it caused us all to rethink what we're doing and rethink where we're doing it. And, and to me, Kansas rose to the top of the list as a state that shares more values and is more accessible and and more uh, welcoming than the preconceived notion. And I certainly found that here with my family and. Um, and others continue to find that and discover that here. But of course, having the opportunity to do this and on a national stage with a national event, these don't just happen all that often. So it was it was very important that we move quickly on this and, and do what we can do to support Travis and not only let people know how diverse this sport actually already is. I mean, women have been competing in this forever. Yeah. History has already happened at Heartland Motorsport several times, including several, you know, the hundredth win by a woman in the sport happened on this track. And and now we get to do more history. It, it's just exciting and, and to be able to, to excite and delight, but also showcase your neighbors and your friends and your, your city and area in ways that it actually is, but people don't often get a chance to see it. It's just, it's truly an honor to be doing this work. And Travis, what does that mean for you? I mean, you, you mentioned Toyota, and, and obviously there are an infinite list of endemic sponsors uh, in, in drag racing that you could go out and, and try and get some support for. And, and here you are with a, a convention and visitors bureau you know, at a, at a pride festival backing you, which is just terrific, but maybe not how you would have uh, drawn it up on a napkin when you were first thinking of how this journey might go for you. What, what does it mean for you to have an organization like this kind of backing you and, and being on the car when, when you go down the track? Well, kind of as Sean said, you know, the unexpected surprise and delight, you know, I started the business model kind of before I started going 300 miles an hour was to like, this is viable. It's going to work out. So to be the first organization to step up and say, Hey, I'm not going to be on GoFundMe Friday night before the drag race, trying to see if I can get some money to have it be a, such an unexpected partner. I mean, that's the coolest part for me and the things that they have planned in Topeka. I mean, to, having a partner that is knows how to sell their city. Like we are taking this rainbow dragster to some of the coolest spots, like the rainbow crosswalk. We're going to 
you know, start the week on Wednesday morning, unveiling the car on their rainbow crosswalk, which people say, wait, you're sponsored by who? And wait, what? They have a rainbow crosswalk. I'm like, I know. I'm just as excited (laughs) and shocked as you guys are. Uh, So I think that's the cool part. There could have been, you know, I have asked a lot of the big companies and I've got a lot of no's or maybe we'll call you later. So it's just such a surprise to have it be, you know, Topeka and to be able to launch the first ever statewide pride being a part of that as well. It's just a lot of cool moments uh, for me. Travis, this is maybe a, a difficult question, but are you expecting any resistance here at all, either from uh, the fans of of the sport who uh, you know are going to be uh, seeing something new or something, you know, learning kind of a, a different side of of the racing community uh, that they may not be familiar with? I'm sorry, I would not be surprised. You know, I think the res- the response has been overwhelmingly supportive throughout my journey so far. If anything, I think there are some drivers and my peers that kind of roll their eyes at me like, oh, Travis, you and your damn rainbows. Like, it's such a good gimmick. It's great. <laughs> I've, had, I've had straight guys say to me, yeah, I wish I was gay because you've got a good thing going for you. But, you know, I, I am prepared for, for people to not respond well, but also as a, as a gay man, that's something you overcome most of your life. I mean, I have been and I was in a straight fraternity and I wouldn't say it was always the best experience, but being prepared for that, going into the race and just focusing on what I need to do on the racetrack um, and let society work out its own issues is kind of the way I'm looking at it. And Sean, let me bring it back to you on some of the marketing things that you were talking about earlier. You know, how much involvement has Visit Topeka had in sponsorship, even of your other events? I mean, is this uh, kind of a different animal for you as well? Putting your organization's name so high profile uh, associated with one of your sports events coming to town. Obviously, you support events that that come to to town in a variety of ways. But uh, a lot of times for a convention bureau, that's more behind the scenes and not uh, maybe not necessarily so out front like you're going to be uh, here in a couple weeks. Yeah, you know, we definitely I mean, we support this event on the back end financially. And it again, is one of our larger tourism events. We've, we've always had a presence with it. And we're proud to have a presence with it. But what brought me to Topeka two years ago was a community that reputationally, that that in so many ways had been discounted by so many people. And I don't want to say hit rock bottom, but the, the, there was only up to go, you know, five, six, seven years ago here that they've been so intentional about this. That I found a community that was really brave and wanting to do this. Anyway, so it dovetails into exactly the narrative that we wanted to be portraying on a national basis. And, you know, this isn't an isolated thing. We work closely with the Equality House to make sure that the LGBT community knows that that's here, that that is a beacon that they can come to. And it's it often is the site of a pilgrimage for a lot of people who've arrived to where they're at and taken the journey there they've taken. And it has, certainly has not been an easy one for many people. And the city kind of has, has mirrored that along a lot of ways. I mean, the reputation of Topeka, and I, I don't say their name and I don't give them airtime, but there's been a presence come out of this city in the last 20, 30 years in this conversation that has not been great. And to now know that we are in a Topeka that is embracing of this, that has a 93 human rights score as a city, which is phenomenal. We are dead set on getting 100 and our mayor is completely on board with that. It's quite a turnaround story. And for us, it's important that our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and, and friends and family and visitors understand that we see that they've always been here, that they just haven't had a chance to be open in what they're doing. It isn't, it's not that they're new to anything here. Uh, that's what's new is just the openness about it and our overt intentionality of highlighting that and, and being as welcoming as possible. 
Well, Travis, uh, Sean used the word brave. I would certainly salute you for what you're uh, accomplishing here in a couple weeks on the societal front, but you're also certainly brave getting behind the wheel, as we talked about (laughs) as well. So kudos to you for what you're uh, set to accomplish here. Let me ask you about that. What are your expectations uh, once once you're on the track and you've got the, you're behind the the wheel of the rainbow car? What are your hopes for the competition itself? Uh, I'm trying to not get too excited about it. This So my, my race team is based in Olathe, Kansas, which is another cool thing. So Randy Meyer Racing is, is 45 minutes from the track, pretty much. And it's one, this team has won five world championships. This race car has won this, this physical, the car I'm sitting in has won this race. It is racing there in two days at a regional event. It will be primed and ready if I just do my part. And I think that's, so there's this cool pressure, but also I could win my first round of racing and be interviewed on Fox by my friend Amanda, who's the reporter. Like, and beat my mom and sister on the starting line. It's just crazy. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because there's probably going to be 20 cars. Only 16 make it to the show. So there's a chance I won't qualify, which has already happened to me in my career, which is why this is my debut. I didn't qualify in my first race in Las Vegas. So I think, you know, if things go right, this car can go a long way into Sunday. And, you know, I'm just going to make sure I do my part and um, have low expectations, but high hopes. Yeah, well, I would argue that the opportunity is there regardless of how you do on the track itself. Uh, you know, congratulations to you, Travis, for uh, getting to this point in your racing career. I'm sure your family is uh, quite proud of you, given their background. And, and Sean, you know, congratulations to you guys, uh, as well as the Convention Bureau and, and uh, you know, taking such a prominent role in your own event here and being part of uh, what really is an incredible sports story and one that uh, that I think you might get uh, quite a few people tuning in for, at least interested in, um, you know, that may not otherwise follow the NHRA circuit. So I, I think it's terrific and uh, very much appreciate both of you for taking the time out to, to chat with us. Travis, best of luck to you on the track. And uh, Sean, certainly best of luck to you and, and visit Topeka on all the, uh, the events to come. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, This is Jason Gewirtz for Sports Travel. Thanks for listening.